been going through a series called Build God's House, which coincides with our spring sowing project, which is our new church plant in Bird. Uh, and, and, and this project is, is that we believe that we, the church, the Chapel Sydney, has been called to build God's house. Uh, week one, we shared the vision of this new church and the many dominoes that God had placed to make this happen. Um, just a quick update, which is um, uh, just happened this week. Uh, one of the dominoes was that uh, from Fresh Hope, which is our movement that, that we're a part of as a church, um, they had, uh, in principle, um, put together a $30,000 grant for the new church. Now, this week, we finally got the sign-off to say that you, it's ready to go. So let's praise Jesus for that. And um, what's exciting is we've actually got um, Daz from Fresh Hope, um, who's He's kind of like an uncle to this church now. You know, I don't know if he feels like that, but um, I've, I invited Daz to come tonight because he's been a part of this journey as much as we have. And he's going to come and share a little bit later from Fresh Hope perspective why this Burwood church plant, where this fits in the whole scheme of the movement. Um, and so we're excited to have you. We'll get you on a little bit later. In weeks two and three, we studied through the book of Haggai where God challenged the Israelites who had returned to Jerusalem, do you have your priorities right in building God's house first and not their own? And that was week two. God challenged them, look, do you have your priorities right? What is more important, building your house or building God's house? Who are you trusting for your future? And then last week, we looked at what happens when you get discouraged. What happens when you get discouraged when you're living your life, trying to live for God, trying to live out the calling? And, 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 and the thing that we found was that, that even though we go through discouragement, that God, because we have God, He is the great encourager. And for us to remind ourselves to continue to do the work of God, and God would encourage us. Now, Haggai only has two chapters, one and two. And so when Haggai finishes in chapter 2, they're building the second temple, but they don't actually finish building the second temple. And I thought it'd be a great way for us to finish this series to actually look at how the second temple finished, okay? Now, uh, we actually find this in the book of Ezra, uh, that the, sem- the second temple gets completed. And we're going to pick up the story in Ezra chapter 6, verse 14. It should be on the screen. Um, and this is, now we're going to finish, we're going to finish the story of the, the rebuilding of the second temple. Okay, this is verse 14. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. So the temple is complete. Historically, they say the temple uh, it probably took between four to six years to complete since that time when Haggai first started uh, preaching. Verse 16. 
Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem according to what is written in the book of Moses. So the second temple has finished. And so the response of the Israelite people is to what? It's to celebrate. It's to rejoice. Now remember what the temple was, right? The temple is the meeting place between God and man. Is to symbolize uh, that God was with them. You would go to temple to be in communion with God. It's such an important, such an important thing. But I want to quickly go back to Haggai chapter 2 because there was a question that came up while I was studying the book. Uh, and then I thought it was an interesting question. And, and I want us to go through that too. So we go back to Haggai chapter 2 verse 6 to 9. And this is what it says. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once again shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And I want us to focus in on verse 9. Okay? The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Now, remember, this is the second temple. Right? And already there is comparison between the first temple that was built by Solomon, this amazing structure, right? This amazing structure covered in gold and jewels. And it was just, you couldn't compare any structure to the temple that Solomon built. And this little second temple is built by the Jewish remnant that comes back from exile. It would seriously be like comparing the White House to my house, right? Like, and I just moved, right? It's not really a comparison. It's like trying to compare Buckingham Palace to my house, right? It's not a comparison. That's the, that's the difference between the first temple and the second temple. It just wasn't a comparison. And yet, God says, the glory in the present house, so the new house, the second temple, will be greater than the first. And this was the question that I got stuck at, right? Physically, from an outer appearance perspective, they didn't even compare, right? This magnificent structure built by Solomon and a whole bunch of people compared to the second house. And it's like, why and how was the second temple greater than the first? And this was the question that I was stuck with. How is it that the second temple, that the glory of the present house would be greater than the former one? So through my research and reading, I try to come up with the answer. And, and, and the answer came in this quote from this book that I was reading. And it, and it says this, Haggai prophesied 
that the second temple would one day have a magnificence to outshine the glory of the first. Haggai's word was fulfilled 500 years later when Jesus Christ arrived on the scene. Zerubbabel's temple was not as outwardly impressive as Solomon's, but it had a greater glory. The Messiah himself walked the courts of the temple that Zerubbabel built. That's the answer. The answer is that the greater glory that God proclaimed in the present house, in the present temple, was himself. Was himself through his son, Jesus. Another quote, the material glory, the splendor of the former house was all eclipsed in this consideration that to the second temple God uh, came God manifest in the flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. What did the second temple have? that made it greater than the first. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, why is Jesus so important to us? Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus gave all of humanity a new and living way to meet God. See, this is where the house of God transforms. We go from the dwelling place of God, the Garden of Eden, to the tabernacle, to the tent, to the temporary place of God, to the temple, the first a magnificent temple that is destroyed. And then the second temple. And then through the second temple walks Jesus. Jesus gives to us a way to meet God. It goes from having to go to a temple to meet God and now it's go to Jesus and you can meet God. Jesus took God out of a physical location and made him accessible to each and every one of us. Through Jesus, the great high priest, the presence of God is available to us wherever we are. No longer do we need to sacrifice. No longer do we need to shed blood for our sins and our dirtiness to be in the presence of God. Because Jesus' blood has been shed on the cross. The debt has been paid so that we can freely approach God. We don't have to go somewhere to get to God. Through Jesus, we have full access to God regardless of where we are and who we are. Can you see the shift? God used to be centralized and you used to have to go. But through Jesus, wherever you are, you can have access to God. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We get to go to God directly that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need because of Jesus. See, back in the day, you had to go to the temple. 
If you had a problem, you had to go to the temple. You had to go through the priest. But through Jesus, you can go straight to God. Made it accessible to each and every one of us. We now have a direct path to God the Father. Because Jesus' flesh and blood give the believer by faith full access to God. Full access. This changes everything. See, we need to ask the questions of why. You know, a lot of times we do things at church, and I've been accused of this too, that we, we, we announce things, that we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and, and we're going to do this, and, 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 and people are like, well, why do we need to do this? And I think we need to understand the why. And so if we go full circle, we go back to week one now about why, why are we planning a church in Bird? Why is starting this church plan in Bird so important? Why is it that building God's house needs to be the priority? And it comes simply to this, because there are people in Bowood, there are people around that area that are living their lives, they're wandering, they're looking for meaning and purpose. And it's the church, it's the church through the blood of Christ, it's the church where they can find life, hope, future and peace. The hope, the house of God, the church is the hope of the world. The church needs to exist so that people can find Jesus. And it's when they find Jesus, all the things that they are looking for will be given to them. It's not just about you finding help. It's not just about you meeting Jesus. But what about other people? What about those around you? I'm telling you tonight, as the pastor of this church, as the leader of this church, that we at the Chapel Sydney, we will not cease to do what we do until we can reach every single person. We will not stop trying to help people find Jesus because through Jesus, they will find life, they will find purpose, and they will find meaning. They need God. They need eternity. They need this, and they can get it, not through us but through Jesus. That's our job. That's why we're planning Bird. Can I tell you, the Chapel Bird, uh, we don't even know if that's what the name of it's going to be. I just keep calling it that. You know, it might look very different to Chatswood. It might operate differently to Chatswood. The people might be different to Chatswood, but as long as Jesus is the foundation, then we will experience greater glory of God in that place. For those that have been with us in this journey here in Chatswood, which goes well, nearly six and a half years now, you know, and, and, I, and I spent a moment really sort of wandering my mind back in the last six years, thinking about, you know, where, where Jesus was just so present and the things that, that God has done in this church. And, and there have been amazing things that God has done in the last six years. People's lives have changed. People's life stages have changed. And, and, and it's just been great. And it's, but for those that have been doing this for six years, let me tell you, there is more to come. There is more to come. There is more to come. And so we're asking you, we're asking you to join us. We're asking you to join us in sowing seeds into the future. Philippians 3.8. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
Friends, there is no one like Jesus. No one comes close to Jesus. No one can do what Jesus has done. No one can do for you what Jesus has done for you. No one comes even close. I think even as believers, some, I think we forget this. Sometimes we think as believers that Jesus is another add-on into our lives, and I'm telling you, it's not. If you truly understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, he didn't make you a better person. Remember, the gospel message is not taking a bad person and making them a good person. No, the gospel message is simple. He took a dead person. Jesus took a spiritually dead person, and he made you alive. It's not just about, oh, did my behavior change? No, your eternity changed. Your eternity changed. Jesus is the greatest glory. You want to know what you want to achieve in your life that would be the greatest thing? You know that question, what's the greatest thing you've seen in your life? What's the greatest thing? You know, is it really going and seeing the seven wonders of the world? Is that really the greatest thing? Now, you type in greatest thing, right, in YouTube, you get all sorts of stuff. Because people define greatness in different ways. You know, some people are like landmarks. Some people like, you know, man-made, you know, monuments. And they go, wow, that's great. You know, some like, you know, catching 100 fish in a minute. You know, that's like the greatest thing that they've seen. You know, some people are like, you know, eating, you know, three Big Mac meals in like five minutes. You know, that's like, wow, like blew my mind kind of thing, right? None of these compare. None of these get even close to who Jesus is and what he's done. And I pray that you would know that tonight. I pray that you'd be experiencing that tonight. That what we do isn't just about, you know, putting on a good show, that, you know, putting on a, a church. No, no, this is about taking the message of, of Jesus and really praying that, that Jesus would save the world. We really, we're really in that game. You know, and sometimes it feels like, you know, we're a little church, we're a little fish in a big pond, you know, but you know what, we're, we're in that game. We're in the game of, of, of changing the world. This is the greater glory. It's not the building. It's not how big we are. It's not how awesome we are. It's how big can we make Jesus. It's how we can live for Jesus, how we can align our lives with Jesus because he's the one that transformed us. He's the one that's going to change us. He's the one that's going to save this city. And I pray that you and I would really get on board. And that's the invitation tonight. That's the invitation from God. That's the challenge from God. Whose house are you going to build? Whose house are you going to build tonight? Let's pray.